Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio and show number 482 in our weekly series. Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement and the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We are out there raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups are developing research, publishing case studies and shining a light on all the great practice out there. You can visit engageforsuccess.org to learn more and sign up for our weekly newsletter so you never miss out on any of our great free resources, events and updates. And I'm Andy Gorham, I'm your host for today's show, and I'm the founder of BizJuicer, an employee engagement and culture development consultancy that helps companies retain more of their great people and makes it easier for them to attract fabulous new talent too. Now, a year ago, almost to the day, in fact, I did an episode on here with Shimrit James and Paul Miller on the connection between an organization's ecosystem and the patterns we see in nature. We discussed how dealing with things like, at the time, the great resignation, hybrid working, and employee well-being from a living systems mindset means leaders can draw inspiration from and alignment with nature around the areas such as purpose, diversity, relationships, and health. Now, I knew very little about that subject at that point, but I found the whole thing fascinating. Now today, I found myself in a very similar situation, with the relationship between nature and business being at the core of today's topic, and me not really knowing much about it, or at least not consciously. My guest today is Naomi Stone, who's the reward and engagement lead at Bristol Charity St. Monica Tust, where she leads and influences organisational change on well-being at work, pay, and recognition. Naomi's specialism is biophilia. That's human nature connection. But relating to well-being at work, she sees our innate connection with nature as a driving force in bridging the gap between our needs as humans and the reality of the way many of us work and live today. Now, I really know very little about this, so I'm fascinated to find out more about it and how it can help us all have a much better time at work. Welcome to the show, Naomi. Oh, thank you so much, Andy. Great to be here. Thank you. Lovely to have you with us today. And uh, it's not unusual for me to feel like the idiot in the room on something. This is not a word I'm familiar with, but I'm hopeful that when you tell me a bit more about it, I'll recognize it perhaps a bit more. But before, before we get into all of that great stuff, why don't you just give us a little introduction to you, a bit about your background and what you're currently focused on, Naomi. Okay, thank you. So um, I currently work for, as you said, a Bristol-based or Southwest-based health and social care provider. Um, I look after reward and engagement, so I form part of their people directorate, the HR team. And I also lecture occasionally for the occupational business psychology modules at the University of the West of England, which is really exciting. Um, wow. So a bit of a yeah, a bit of a sort of twofold. But my ma- my sort of main core role is and has been since leaving university. Really, I studied undergraduate psychology. Um, has always been in HR. So I've done every 
bit of HR that you can think of, <laughs> from, you know, sort of recruitment trade, yeah, the whole spectrum. And now my focus is on reward and engagement, which is really where my passion lies. I mean, it's such a hot topic today as well, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I think it's becoming, it's always been important. It's becoming more and more conscious, I think, in, in, in work, hasn't it now? In fact, I, I suspect jobs like yours, job titles like yours, didn't exist a few years ago. And now, yeah. look at them. Absolutely, Fantastic. yeah. It is great, well, isn't it? It's great to see it happen, it, you know, that things are changing in that direction. It's not just 100%. the fluffy, the kind of soft stuff that it used to I be think known that's as. I think the thing that everybody needs to kind of, um, get get straight with that this employee engagement well-being it's not it isn't a fluffy thing it has yeah. hard benefits and um, the more people kind of I think get with that and understand that how that can really pay dividends at work and how they can influence it positively I think the workplace will be a better place going forwards and <laughs> hence the radio yeah. show and all the things that we do at Engage for Success yeah, and speaking to great people like you oh thank you very much so so you said about um what I'm focusing on, us, what I'm focusing on at the moment. I think yeah. it's probably fair to say that in the care sector, um, and I hope listeners might kind of relate to this if they work within social health, health and social care, is that we've been a bit behind in sort of catching up post-COVID because of the right. nature of our work. We, I mean, sometimes our staff, you know, our carers, catering staff, et cetera, they're still in masks. If we have an infection outbreak, we, you know, we're all pulled together and, kind of mask up and PPE up again. And so we've been a bit kind of delayed and it's only now that we're starting to come out to, to that, I don't know if I should use the word normal because it's the kind of new <laughs> normal, isn't it? But we're just returning to something more familiar, put it that mm. way. So my challenge and my, one of my colleagues' challenge at the moment is to continue that journey really of inspiring and engaging a workforce who is, let's face it, completely worn out and burnt yeah. out to some extent. They've had a really tough few years and it hasn't, it's not like it just ended, you know, it ended along with everybody else. It's, it's been going on um, for longer and we're only just kind of seeing the light now. Yeah, I've done some work with some clients in that sector myself. Right. And uh, I mean, it's incredible work people like that do on a daily basis, let alone yeah. with all the other challenges chucked in. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, exactly. It's no, it's no, it's no, those portals are, are exhausted as you, as you say. They are. And, but, and but, as you, sorry, go on. No, carry on. We, you've mentioned previously, you know, in previous episodes about people leaving, you know, people leaving um, industry, the great resignation, etc., And that's certainly happening within our sector People are exhausted. They're leaving. They're thinking, rethinking what they want out of their careers and their vocation. So it's really challenging times. It really is. It really is. And maybe this topic we're going to talk about today holds some of the keys in making things a bit more bearable at, at work. Um, oh, I hope so. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I hope so too. Now help me out, <laughs> Noby, because biophilia. Now I described it as the human nature connection i'm sure there is a better yeah. way to explain it so um how would you define the concept of biophilia in the workplace and i'm really interested to understand this how on earth did you become interested in it in the first place okay yeah so i mean if we look at the translation of the word biophilia so mm. i don't speak greek but i do know that <laughs> bios means life and living things and philia is love of so it's the love of life and all living things 
And the term was brought to prominence by um, a, a biologist called E.O. Wilson in the sort of 80s, 90s. Mm-hmm. And um, the biophilia hypothesis suggests that our human identity and our personal fulfillment really depends on our relationship with nature. We need nature in our lives. We come from nature. Um, So we have an affiliation and a predisposition to the things that, I suppose it links to evolutionary psychology, actually. If you think about our Stone Age brains, where we would have lived and had our livelihood in and around nature, and yet, as you know, as time has gone on, we that gap has grown. As you mentioned at the beginning, that you know, there's a disconnect between what we need as human beings innately and how we actually live and work are actually very, very different. And the idea about biophilia is bridging that gap and bringing those things together. And in, in terms so of how I, oh, sorry, go on. No, no, please go ahead. Yes, absolutely. How did you become interested in this then, Naomi? Well, I, I um, started a master's degree in uh, quite late on, a good 20 years after my original degree. I went back to university and did um, part-time a master's in occupational psychology. And that gave me an opportunity to study um, you know, pick a, pick a topic for the dissertation or the, you know, the thesis at the end. Um, and I realised my own story, which was I'm a city girl. I grew up in Cardiff, in the city Cardiff. Nature wasn't something that really featured in my life. I wasn't, you know, I was, the, I was genuinely that kid who used to cry if I had mud on my white socks. I was that, <laughs> <laughs> that sort of person. I'm sad to say. But um I met my husband at university and he had a very different upbringing in northern sort of Manchester way, Berry way. And he, his whole childhood was spent around, you know, running around fields and fishing and climbing trees and all that sort of thing. And he genuinely, it's a bit of a love story, Andy, but he did genuinely open my eyes to nature. And he, he always knew, you know, knows the names of trees and birds. And, and I think it, at that time, it, it made me, sort of notice the seasons in a different way, notice changes, notice the things going on around me that weren't within my own life and within our own human experience. And for some people, that's, that's, you know, that sounds completely intuitive, of course. But for me, as a city girl, I just didn't... Nature and being around nature wasn't something that was familiar to me. So when I went to... When I did my master's, I had an opportunity to think about that in a bit more depth, about how... What that brought to me... In, you know, in a selfish way, me and my well-being and, and noticing and that, I guess, that bit of mindfulness when you're in and around nature and how we can apply that to our workplaces, which are typically, not always, but typically kind of urbanized or, you know, um, in inbuilt city areas. And I just thought there's something in that. And, there, and it turns out there was. And there's a ton <laughs> of research to, to, you know, to back up what's known as the biophilia hypothesis. Well, let's dig into some of that, shall we? Um, yeah. Let's start with something simple for me to get my little head around. Um, what are some examples of biophilic design elements that you, what we might see you could incorporate into a workplace, say? Some examples. Yeah, so some really obvious examples, and this is where quite a lot of the research comes from. 
um, hmm. is bringing plants indoors. So that's like, okay. you, you know, sort of your most obvious. And there's some compelling evidence to tell us that simply by bringing plants into a workplace reduces the perception of stress. So it gives the, there's a, aesthetics and beauty is involved in it, isn't it? You look around mm. and it just feels nicer and that in itself reduces the perception of stress. Um, also what indoor plants do is they, um, they can, lots of our furniture and the cleaning fluids and things that we use, use are known as volatile organic compounds. And there's a lot of that and they're, they're quite bad for us ultimately for our health. And what plants do is that they kind of filter the air and um, improve the air quality in the workplace as well. So there are other benefits as well as the, sort of the well-being and the stress benefits. Mm. So that, that's an obvious thing. Um, there are other things that you can do. I mean, when we talk about biophilia, it's probably important just to explain um, when I'm talking about biophilia in the workplace, we're talking about natural spaces. So firstly, being outdoors, spending time mm. in and around nature for health and well-being and there's lots of evidence I can talk to you about around that but mm. there's also um, and outdoors can be authentic na natural areas like ravines gorges sea you know areas of um, coastal areas and then there's man-made or inauthentic but they're still nature so parks and gardens and things that we've mm. created ourselves so there's those types and what the biophilia hypothesis tells us is that ultimately, the more authentic, the better, but mm. it all helps. And then the other bit of biophilia is, as you said, the design bit. So bringing nature indoors, so bringing in indoor plants, pictures of nature can make a difference. Views of nature, some really lovely bits of evidence that tell you that after a period of Imagine you're working really hard on your laptop or caring for somebody or in a kitchen, whatever it is that your, your work is. You, you have a period of directed attention and then you simply re-divert your attention to a natural scene. So looking outside a window with a garden view or a forest view or a green wall, green roof, any plants outside for 10 minutes, you get back to your task. And the evidence tells us that you'll be more accurate, you'll be more focused, you will have restored your attention. So this links to attention restoration theory. So yeah, biophilia is also things like mimicking nature indoors. So natural airflow, natural lighting, um, natural mimicry in things like vases and lampshades and things like that. All of that kind of is this, you know, um, forms the basis of the biophilia hypothesis, but the more authentic, the better. That's fascinating because now I don't feel like such an idiot because <laughs> I'm sitting there listening to you going, okay, so I was doing things intentionally with design, particularly venue design, um, in, his, in, in city centres or retail parks that was very much in the mimicking thing. So I, I remember doing some ah. work in big bingo clubs, which are like big old barns of places with not a lot of daylight. And um, we would put big murals of uh, bluebell fields, um, sunflowers and all those sorts of things um, in, in areas of the, of, of the club or in the sort of outside, outside shelters that looked, would have looked out on car parks to try and 
at least give some interesting vista, some sort of relaxing yeah. uh, vista. Um, and then I always remember a particular, a brilliant facilitator that I got was very lucky to, to work with, who after every session would always say, right, off you go, go outside and go and look at the sky. And I think people would look at him in a weird sort of sense as to, well, what's all that about? Um, but doing it and coming back, uh, feeling a very different level of refreshment than you know, hanging by the coffee machine for 10 minutes before yeah. the next session. So um, unless I've completely wildly misunderstood you, that that's, seems relatively linked. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, and it's intuitive, isn't it? So, so when I ask people, and there's another study around, around this, about favourite places. So mm. Corpella and Hartig did a study where they asked a number of people, what's your favourite place? And people typically report back being near water, lakes, rivers, mm. greenery, being in their own garden, maybe being in a park. Mm. So it's sort of intuitive to us that we just feel better. We report feeling happier and better being in and around nature. Um, there's mm. a lovely study. You'll love this one. This is called Ma the Mappiness Study. So some <laughs> psychologists created an app called Mappiness. And the brilliant thing about it is that they had 22, over 22,000 um, participants because it was a mm. nationwide, it was UK based. And people, the app asked them periodically during the day, where are you and how are you feeling? And it also had a GPS tracker. And what the study found was that people were significantly happier, reported feeling happier in an outdoor and green space than they did in an urban environment. So, it, you know, we, it kind of is intuitive. And I say this to people, yeah, of course, yeah, of course. You know, I love being outside. But we typically associate being outside and in nature with leisure time. And there, there could mm. be something in that. And that's another reason to, to bring in biophilic elements into your working day. And I don't just mean by bringing plants in. I mean, no. you know, by kind of behavior, behavioral change and that sort of thing. But your point about um, not having natural light... 66% of workers work with no natural light. Mm. That's a lot, isn't it? It's a he heck of a lot, that. A heck of a lot. I guess if you think about, I was thinking about this, well, who are these people? You know, that means not having a window, for example. But you think about all the warehouses and, you know, sort of distribution centres that have popped up everywhere. Yeah, I, don't know I mean, I think you, it's not just limited to those sort it's not just yeah. limited to those sort of places, is it? I've worked in plenty of offices that, that don't have that, particularly meeting rooms, which are crammed into other areas of a, of a, of a, of a building where there is no natural light. I've been in hotels yeah. where conference facilities or working facilities are below ground floor to get them in. Yeah, not, there's true. no natural, natural light there. Um, so I don't think it's, you know, I think it's wide ranging. I mean, you've mentioned a couple of very interesting studies there. Are there any others that sort of really... Um, have, a, have a keen place in your heart, Naomi, that, that sort of spring to mind? Well, the first one that sort of started off my own studies in biophilia in the workplace was about, um, so this is just general kind of well-being um, biophilia research. So the first one was Ulrich in 1984, where he studied patients in hospitals' reaction to having a natural view and a view of a concrete wall from their hospital bed. And mm. Amazingly, he found that people made a quicker recovery with a view of nature. And this sounds ridiculous, but they needed fewer painkillers. 
compared wow. to people. I know, you know, in a kind of controlled, you know, and in a proper sort of tested environment. So that's, that I think is really fascinating. And um, we also know that because people sometimes say to me, well, talking about being outside, you know, feeling good for you. It's, it's intuitive, but also you're moving your body. And we do know, don't we, from evidence and research over decades now that exercise is good for you. It's good for your mental health and your well-being. But even accounting for exercise is a nice study from um, Aspinall at Edinburgh University that shows us that people who are walking from an urban area into a green area and vice versa, sort of moving around Edinburgh city, found that they had higher motivation and arousal and reduction of low mood when they moved into those green areas as opposed to being within an urban area. Um, there are lots of studies that show things like being in earshot of birdsong and mm-hmm. near natural vegetation is um, beneficial to general mental health and well-being. Um, and in the workplace, some really lovely studies, for example, one study um, called Lean versus Green in the office space. I love that. Um, they said that productivity <laughs> was increased. I know, great. It, pro- productivity was increased by 15% where indoor plants were introduced. There was greater satisfaction, greater levels of concentration. Um, I said about the differences of perceptions of stress in the workplace and views of nature relating to stress in the workplace. There's also a lovely study for people who have kids. Um, there's a study from 2015 by Benfield that talked about, um, they studied two groups of students, same baseline level of you know, ability and studying the same course materials. One, group, one group's classroom had a view of nature, the other group had a view of a concrete wall. That's often the control, the concrete, <laughs> concrete wall. And what he found in his studies was that the students with the view of the nature space had a better experience of the course. So they rated the course more highly. They also did better in their end of semester grades. It's so, crazy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. It's really, crazy. Yeah. So some, some really, you know, as I say, some really compelling evidence to say that we, this is our chance really with this evidence to bring in biophilic elements into our workspaces, but also, and this, this moves on your conversation with um, Shimrit James and Paul Miller yeah. from a year yeah. ago. Isn't that yeah. fascinating? Literally almost practically. It is literally exactly near, ago, nearly to it? the days. <laughs> That's so mad. Yeah. But it, it sort of builds on their um, conversation really about normalizing and role modeling behaviors and bringing in, uh, I don't think they turned it like this because they were talking about patterns within organizations, weren't they mimicking nature is absolutely right. But I think we can can kind of build on that and encourage uh, almost like a a biophilic culture within the workplace where we change the language, we role model, we make it normal spending time outside, perhaps having walking meetings or um, walking coaching, um, just normalizing, taking breaks. I haven't mentioned my own study as part of my master's, which got people outside during a working day. And the control group were people indoors um, during their break in a working day. So they swapped as well. So all the same people experienced both the outdoor 
10 minutes and indoor 10 minutes during their break. And again, as you'd expect, and thanks, you know, this is just helpful evidence to support the biophilia hypothesis, that people's mood went up, so their, their affect was increased, um, their positive affect was increased, their lower um, negative affect was decreased, and there was a correlation statistically between positive affect or positive mood and job satisfaction. So there's a really nice link there that if you can encourage people to have positive experiences with nature during a working day, actually it can have a link to their overall job satisfaction. There was a downside though to this study, which was that people felt guilty about going outside. And I find that fascinating as well, that there's still this feeling of guilt, that oh, I can't leave my workplace, I eat my lunch at my desk and I feel, you know, um, crazy. That is that is absolutely crazy, isn't it? When that yeah. people still feel that way. And within your study, was there a difference between people whose location was, I guess, greener than others, or was the effect still the same of, you know, walking around in town? I mean, what 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 did you did you measure no, that? Did sorry, you see any differences? So the the measure was being outside in a green space. Right. So part of yeah. the participation was that you had access to green space during your working day so you could spend 10 minutes and I asked people to leave their phones behind so there are a few instructions notice things so I asked them to report back to me what did you notice while you were outside in the green area that was closed they were all indoor workers that was the first thing and they all mm. had to have some access you know relatively easy access to green space um yeah I, so, so I guess this is where the mimicry might need to come in for places that are more town center or more urban in their in their location i mean is, is let, let let me let me ask a better question if if people listening to this employers listening to this are interested in getting started how would you how would you encourage them to get started what would be the first sort of things you would say to them um i think that, i think the key really is role modeling just start doing it so start encouraging people let's oh should we go for a walk let's go for a walk let's, you know let's have a meeting outside on a nice day or, mm. or perhaps on not a nice day doesn't that you know just wear the right clothes isn't it um so yeah role model it and don't underestimate the power of those small changes that you can make so by bringing in plants by role modeling behaviors that get us outside by ritualizing so things like you know i've um in my organization we've We've done things like, you know, bearing in mind that we work in a care organization. So it's really sure. tricky for people. So, you know, I typically work from home so I can choose when I go out for a break and take in my kind of have my biophilic moment. It's not that easy for everybody. So we've encouraged things. We've brought plants indoors. We've um, designed areas where people can, we call it illegal architecture, where you can move furniture around, bring greenery in, but also create a space that, works for you and your you know how you work um and i we've done things like prize draws for you know giving away herb boxes for people who may not have a garden and can grow things indoors we did a sunflower challenge a couple of years ago which was really fun because people were sending in photos of their sunflowers and how tall they'd grown um and you know it's really cost effective and 
you know, it, it engages people in a different way as well, that connecting way. Because mm. we, mm. we know, don't we, we know about social connection and exercise and all that, you know, that, that goes with that. There's lots of evidence around that. What we haven't done enough of and we're not doing enough of is, is making connection with nature, indoors or outdoors or both, ideally, a part of our normal everyday behavior. And I think that's what I would say is just, you know, just think of everything you can to bring in nature to the workplace. And if there's one killer piece of advice on the back of that, Naomi, that you would give to someone as we as we near the end of the show, what would mm. you advise people to do? Well, I think, as I said, for, for, tip, for your typical worker, start role modelling. Anyone can do that, encouraging people to get out and bring nature in, bring bring plants in, etc. For an HR professional, somebody driving engagement, I would mm. say get involved in planning. Don't think mm. that facilities and, as you've mentioned about designing workplaces, don't see that as just, you know, for the for kind of a different group of people. You're part of this. Biophilia design is well recognized now in architecture and planning. And so have a voice, get involved in planning and as you, you know, say creating green areas around car parks, or you can have the smallest space and turn it into transform it. We've done it ourselves in our workplaces. Transform it into something that's known as biophilic, and, and ultimately that. good for people. I love that, Mary, and uh, I have really enjoyed listening to everything you've got to say. It's really been painting some pictures of very lovely green spaces in my head as you've been talking. Unfortunately, that's about all we've got time for today. Um, so everybody listening, uh, please don't forget to visit engagementsuccess.org to check out the show notes and all of our fab free engagement resources where you can also download or stream any of the great shows from our archive at your le- leisure. Naomi, thank you so much for educating me today and for sharing oh, your thoughts you. and all the research and your experiences. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Well, we'll be back again at the same time next week. I'm Andy Gorham, and thanks for listening to Engage for Success Radio. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.